Welcome to He's Gone, But the Money's Not, the podcast that's all about empowering women and families to take control of their finances. I'm Nicole Roberts, a financial advisor with over a decade of experience. In this podcast, we explore the intersection of two important aspects of our lives, death and money. Each episode, we either talk through financial principles or have conversations with widows who bravely share their stories and wisdom. Why? Because statistically, most women will find themselves in a position where they become the sole financial decision maker in their family. It's time to build financial literacy and confidence. So whether you're a widow, someone preparing for the future, or simply curious about the intersection of finances and life's uncertainties, you're in the right place. Let's dive into today's episode of He's Gone, But the Money's Not. Welcome to the podcast. My name is Nicole. I'll be your host today, and I'm very excited to have Karen on the podcast with us today and for her to tell us her story. So Karen, take it away. Okay. My name is Karen. I live in Idaho Falls, Idaho, and seems like I'm a little more distant than other podcast guests that I've heard that you have on. My husband passed away 16 years ago. So it's been a while. Um, I'll just go back and start when we met. (laughs) Great. So I grew up in California, graduated from high school in 1977. And my friend and I came to Idaho to go to school. We both had applied for the college in Rexburg, Idaho called Ricks College. Got an apartment with six girls in it. So me and my friend and four other girls. So one of the girls was named Lisa. So that was, let's see, school started in September. So towards the end of October, Lisa invited me to go home with her one weekend and I met her brother. That's how we met through his sister, who was my roommate. So we dated a few months. We got married the following August of 1978 few years in college. And when he graduated from college, he got a job. We were living in in Utah when he graduated from college, but he got a job in the automotive industry in Michigan. So he graduated with the first class of a program called Design Engineering Technology, which is now called IT. So the car industry was just get in into the computer field. They were kind of ahead of most of the rest of the world. And um, we decided to move far away from all of our family and lived in Michigan for 21 years. He moved his way up the company and it was a really good job for him. So in 2006, the economy was going downhill. So in 2008, the housing market tanked and a lot of people know about that. But in 2006, other industries were starting to to go down before the housing market. And one of those was the automotive industry. People weren't buying cars. Anyway, so he was a manager of a large, of a lot of people. And management came to him and said, we're downsizing, the company's slowing down, and we want you to lay off half of your department. And oh, so that wow. was his task. And they gave him two weeks to do that. And he had to make a decision and he had to lay everybody off. It was very stressful on him. And so about a week later, he called me as he was, he was driving home from work and it was the middle of the day. He said, guess what? I said, what? He says, "Uh, well, they decided 
they called me into the office of the management and said, now we're laying off managers and you're laid off. So no after, way. after he was given the task to lay off all these other people, then they laid him off. That's awful. Just, just they, like that and send him home midday. They're making him do their dirty work. That's uh -huh. awful. <laughs> so here we were with, with no job and we came to the point where you either had to look for a new job or move somewhere else. And we decided to, to move. We have six children. We had at the time, one was married, two were in college, two were in high school. And one other one was college age, but was not going to college. He was working. So he was laid off the first week of August of 2006. And this does make sense <laughs> in a minute. Yeah. While I'm telling you all about his job and the move. So it took us a week to make the decision that we were going to move. Then I started making some phone calls about the transition for our two high school kids. And in Michigan, school doesn't start till the week after Labor Day. But in Idaho, it starts earlier. And I found out it, they started class the last week of August. So... Here we were, the end of the first week of August. We had two weeks to get there to get my kids registered for school. So we called a realtor. We got the house appraised and kind of made a list of things that needed to be done and decided that Brad would stay in Michigan and would do some painting and some fixing up, loaded up our Suburban and a trailer, and me and the two kids took off across the country, went to his parents' house. They had invited us to come and live with them until we got things figured out, until we found a job and we decided where we were gonna be. When all was said and done, he was, we finally had everything moved to Idaho and he was here and settled by Thanksgiving, so November. So it took almost three months for him to finish up what he was doing. By the time we got all done and moved, had our house listed, it was November. He started looking for a job here, found a job in January at the college where we met, which was 20 minutes away, and started working there the first week of February. Part of the goal was he wanted to open private business where he would an adventure business where he would, we would own four wheelers or motorcycles or take people on scuba diving trips, things like that. So in probably April, he bought a motorcycle and a four wheeler. That was the beginning of our business. And in June, so we had owned this motorcycle two months. We went on a Saturday out to the sand dunes about an hour away from our house and he was riding with his brother and came over a big sand dune jump, which was probably further down than he thought and came in at the wrong angle. The wheel on the motorcycle stopped him cold as it landed straight into the sand and he fell forward, hit his chest on the handlebars and was thrown off the bike. I was on a four-wheeler with my sister-in-law in a different area. He was with his brother and some nephews, and one of my nephews came and found me and said, Brad's been hurt. You better 
come over to where he's at. And I, I laughed. I thought, well, maybe he broke his arm or something. He was still alive, but he was just laying flat in the sand and was did not ever speak to me. He squeezed my hand. He, Within about 20 minutes, the, by the time I got there, they had already called it for an ambulance and asked that a helicopter be sent because it, it didn't look good. I just remember lots of motorcyclists standing around and looking, and his brother and I were right there next to him, and his brother said, I don't think he's breathing. And so we started doing tandem CPR on him for probably at least 20 minutes until the helicopter came. They worked on him a little bit, and it was not successful. Because he was already deceased, they could not take him in the helicopter. So the helicopter left, and they sent an ambulance. So we had to wait probably 45 minutes before the ambulance arrived in a parking lot, which then they, I mean, the ambulance comes with a couple of four-wheelers on the back of it, and they have to drive into the area with their four-wheelers. So it was quite a long time that we sat there in silence and nobody knew what to say. And so that's, that's the widow story. <laughs> that's how I became a widow. And from there, jump forward a week, we had a funeral. All of my children came. I had four grandchildren at the time. So there I was living with my in-laws, everything I owned, was two miles down the road in a giant storage unit. I had a house for sale far away and I was working part-time at the time and the job that he had at the college treated us very well. He had a good life insurance policy two or three days after he passed away. Two guys from his department came and brought me a check for $200,000. So that took care of a lot of things. And over the course of the next couple of months, my company that I was working for increased my hours to full time. Before he died, we would ride our bikes around around the area, around the neighborhood. And there was a, there was a house about two miles away that I kept looking at. It was for sale by owner. The day we were headed out to the desert to ride, as we went past that house, I pointed to it and I said, I think we need to come back and look at this house. Because the plan was we were going to live with his mother and father for a few months. Our house would sell and we'd be able to build and build our dream house. The economy changed so fast that fall that the housing market was dead. The house value had gone way down and it didn't look like we were going to be able to sell that house very quickly or have the money to build. So as it turned out, within three months of him passing away, I went and bought that house. I was just attracted to that house before he died and when I went and looked at it, it was a perfect size that I needed for myself, my two teenagers, of which my youngest had just finished ninth grade. The next one had graduated from high school two weeks before Brad's death. 
I had two other daughters in college who would be back and forth during summers. And then my son, who was living in Illinois at the time, who was single, decided that he would also come to Idaho and live. So I needed a house that could accommodate four or five children and myself at the same time. So that turned out to be a very nice house for us. And because of the life insurance money, I was able to buy it under my own name. I was able to refinance the house in Michigan and took his name off the mortgage so that it was only in my my name. So here I was a new widow. I owned two houses, which was incredible to me. Then I decided that what I needed to do was go back to school. I had only completed one year of college, had then gotten married, and we were married for over 20 years, had six kids, and I was mostly a stay-at-home mom during that whole time. And my brother came to me, and my brother's a lawyer, and he helped me a lot. He helped file probate papers and got me in contact with somebody who could help with the financing and how to spend my money and how to save my money and things like that. He was a big help. And he said, you know, you really should up your employment skills so that you can get a better job. And so I decided to go back to school. And so within a year, I was taking a couple of courses I think the first two classes I took were online. Then I started having, not, not me, my, my employer, I worked for a home health company and I worked in their office and answered phones. And because of the economy, a lot of these smaller companies were going under. This company, they called me and they said, we're sorry, we're going to have to cut your hours to part-time. And that was Great. That was fine with me because then I was able to take these classes that I had been looking into. So I started school. I finished that one semester and then was called in and they said, we're going to have to eliminate your position. We're extremely sorry. We know you're, you have a lot of things going on and a lot of circumstances, but our company's not doing well and we're going to have to lay a few people off. And actually that layoff turned out to be one of the best things for me because I was then eligible because they had laid me off for unemployment. And I was able to continue that unemployment for three years during school. I was able to work with someone in an employment office who also got me a grant of some kind based on, it was specifically for women who were unemployed or underemployed. On top of that, I was eligible for a Pell Grant as well as receiving Social Security for my daughter who was 15. That Social Security stopped when she was 16, but that's how I covered all the expenses. It was a blessing that that I was unemployed. Wow, that's, that's very interesting. On the unemployment, typically it doesn't go for three years. Was it special circumstances because of the economy or because of your situation? Do you remember? I think it was a little bit of both. And I know I had to continue looking for jobs every week. I had to fill out paperwork. I had to extend it. And it was because of my circumstances. Um, I don't remember all of the details, but I I felt very blessed that I could make that happen. Yeah. And on the Social Security, your portion ended when your daughter turned 16. But did she continue to get a benefit till she was 18? 
Or is those details kind of fuzzy now? They are fuzzy. Yeah, I'm not sure. I believe she did get a benefit for longer than, than I did. I know she did. Yeah, great. So what did you go back to study in school? Well, my goal was get a bachelor's degree as soon as I could. <laughs> and so I just looked at different options. Well, first I decided I was going to go back for a nursing degree. So my first full semester at school, I took anatomy and physiology. And I said, I can do it. Yeah. <laughs> I got a C in that class. And it was just going back to school. I tell you, at I was... So my husband died. He was 51. I was 48. And so going back to school after not having been in school for so long, boy, you really have to regain that muscle power in your brain. It, it was hard at first. And I felt very awkward being the oldest person in most classes. But what I found it to be true is that my perception of an older person going back to school was not correct because I found that professors liked having an older person along with the younger person to get different perspective. I found that in classes where we had to divide up into groups, students would come to me and want me in their group because... I would have a different perspective. And also they knew I would get the work done. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe they could slack off a little bit. That happened <laughs> too. It certainly taught me a great deal going back to school. And so my major was in administrative assistance and just focusing on getting some type of office job. My real goal, what I really wanted to do was work for the college. And I applied for several jobs during college and right after I graduated. And me working at that college just wasn't meant to be because I had a couple of interviews, but most things I was just passed by on and I was never offered a job. So what did you do after college? So I was still on unemployment for about four months and I got a job at a plasma donation center being a phlebotomist. It was on the job training. The second you start, they offer benefits. Let's see, by this time, my daughter was still in school, in high school. My next oldest son was in college, and one daughter had graduated, and another daughter was still in college. So I was still, you know, a full-time mom and was able to work. I worked at this phlebotomy job for probably three and a half years. I worked one day of early mornings, like you had to be there at 5 a.m., and one day of late nights. One week of late nights, they switched back and forth. So by the end of three years, I was tired all the time, and I just felt like I have to get out of this job, and I want to get into something that I actually studied in school. And through a friend who suggested I go talk to somebody else, a couple of different steps, I found a job working in an office it was a construction type of job, and I managed the whole office. It was me and 12 guys, and I loved it because they looked at me to do all the paperwork, and I felt very appreciated, and I was there for four years. The company, the main company, was in Seattle, and the company here was had lost some of its jobs, and I was, again, laid off of that job because what they decided to do is take all the office work that 
I was doing and give it to divide it up between the girl in Spokane and the girl in Seattle. I again was out of work, but I found another job working in a different industry in the accounting office. Rewinding back to the house situation, when were you able to sell your house in Michigan? Okay, that's a great story. When we moved into that house, we bought that house for $175,000 and lived in it for nine years. It was the second house that we owned in Michigan. And when we, we first decided to move in August, got a realtor who gave us an appraisal. We listed it for 275000 And then the economy went down and down and down. So that house was for sale. That was from 2006. That house finally sold in 2010. Whoa. During that time, I had two different renters in there. For a lot of period of time, it was empty. I had to ask friends to go. I, I remember one friend got a group of people in, together in the spring and went and planted flowers and got the yard all in shape so that it would look good with the hopes that it would sell. And I had gotten rid of the first realtor, gotten a second realtor. The house sold. I actually went back and looked it up today. That house sold for 163000 so I had lost twelve thousand. We had lost twelve thousand dollars by owning this house for nine years and over the price of what it was originally listed at. Lost over a hundred thousand dollars. Two thousand eight economy plus Michigan had a really bad economy for a long yeah. time, right? Yeah. Because of the automotive industry, right? It's rough. It was a very low offer, but it was my senior year of college and. I just wanted to be done with it. It's so hard to be a landlord from so far away. One of the families who I had living in there had lost their home to a fire. So they were in there for almost a year and then decided not to rebuild. And so they moved to Florida. And so the house was again empty for about six months. And then I had a friend who... I knew was living, let's see, she was living in a trailer, I think, and had recently remarried. And one day her name just came to me. I picked up the phone and I called her and I said, would you like to rent my house? And I offered her a great deal and they took it. And so they were there about two years and her husband was able to do the maintenance on the house. He kept the lawn in good shape. And so it was a blessing that I was able to get people who I knew to be the renters and take care of things. Yeah, yes, that's a, that's crazy. It took so long to sell that house, but good that you had renters to help with some of those expenses. Was it pretty taxing to have the two mortgage payments or were you able to buy your second home mostly in cash? No, I still had a mortgage on it because I didn't want to put all my cash into it because I didn't know what the future was going to hold. And as it turned out, you know, with, um, having kids in college, I needed that extra income. And I mean, the extra cash in the bank, but I was able to get the rent for most of the time when I had renters in there, it covered the mortgage. But then there was several months where I just had to come up with two mortgage payments for mm -hmm. both houses. Yeah, that's so of course, it was very stressful. But when my realtor called and said, we've got somebody who's interested, they've made an offer. I said, okay, let's do it. Even though it's low, let's, I just had to be out from under it. Yeah. Was there retirement accounts from Brad? He consistently put money into 401k and there was 
they gave us a really good pension when they laid him off. I think they paid us up front for like three months of salary plus extended our insurance for like six months. So they treated him really well, even though they fired him. <laughs> Throughout most of our life, once he got out of college, the agreement between us on financing was kind of, he made the money and I paid the bills. We always saw eye to eye on how to pay things, but we never did it together. And we had six little kids. We had lots of expenses. He liked driving a good car. Well, in Michigan, you're just sort of obligated to drive a new car if you work for an automotive industry. The company he worked for made assembly lines for Ford and GM. And he was the IT manager. And so um, you pretty much couldn't drive an old clunker. So anyway, we usually had a nice car because we had a large family. We had three Suburbans in a row that we would keep for two years and then upgrade. But having a car payment and a large house payment and six kids, it didn't seem like there was ever enough money. And so some of our conversations, at least a couple of times, I would go to him and I would be like, why are we putting all this money into 401k when if you just didn't have 401k, we would have more money in our monthly budget? Because I didn't really understand how 401k worked for many years until I was working full time and understood that a 401k, you choose how much money you're going to put in and your employer matches part of it. And if you're not taking advantage of that, for one thing, you're not investing in your future, but you're also walking away from $1,000 every month or something like that, whatever the percentage is. Whatever the match is, yeah. Right. He would always say, nope, it's fine. We'll just make do. We're putting that money into the 401k. Because he was a good investor up front, where I wasn't part of the equation, I now have good security because of the money he put into 401k, because he always put in the, the max or more than the max that his companies would match. Because of that, I feel that now that I'm retired, I am financially secure for a lot of years. So you didn't touch any of that money when when he died. You left it in the retirement accounts? Right. I didn't use any of that because he did have that good life insurance policy and that covered things that we needed it to cover. Was it tempting to use some of that money ever if things felt tight? I had somebody who was managing it and who, you know, kind of, there's part of it that I could use for certain things. I needed a car at one time and he said, let's pull out $5,000 and go buy you a decent car. And so there's certain things that you can pull out of a beneficiary account. I'm not sure how, how it all worked, but the name was changed from being in Brad's name to being in my name on behalf of, or being oh. a beneficiary for Brad. Right. And I don't know if you remember any of these conversations because it's been a while and you're probably just in a fog. If you had moved it, you could have moved it into a an, an retirement account, an IRA in your own name. But then if you weren't 60, there would have been a 10% penalty. And it, because you moved it into a beneficial IRA still in his name, but with you as the beneficiary, you could take that money out without the 10% penalty before 
59 and a half. You still have to pay the taxes. Do you remember having that conversation? Yes. And that's what I did when I needed a car. I believe I did it one other time for school expenses. That's great. It's great. You had a professional to walk you through that, right? And help you realize that you should move it as a beneficial IRA and not into your own name. Right. And there was some legwork I had to do because I had to get things transferred over from a couple of different jobs that he had had. I just had to track down where everything was and make a lot of phone calls. And, you know, because we had left those companies, it wasn't that easy to consolidate it all, but I was able to get that done. Yeah. And that's another good point. I always tell people when you leave a job, take your retirement account with you so that you keep it all together. So then people, then when like you have to go and track it all down later, mm-hmm. but that's a common thing that people leave their retirement with their old company. So yeah, interesting points. He passed away right before the 2008 recession and that huge, there was a 50% drop in the stock market during 2008. Do you remember that retirement account fluctuating a lot? Yeah, I remember that it went down, which is why they advised me to not take anything out or as, as little as needed so that in the later, in the coming years, it would grow back up. And did it? Yeah. It's come back for you. Yeah. And was it stressful, though, to see that money going down, especially when you had all these two mortgages and no, no income sometimes? As far as the IRA and the retirement funds, I didn't know that much about them and I just didn't worry about it. I just didn't think about them very much at all. <laughs> and That's just good. It made do with what I had and what I saw coming in. That's actually what the thing to do with investing. Fidelity has a study where the people who've done the best in their retirement accounts were people who forgot their password or who had passed away. So then they just left the money and didn't even touch it. And I did understand that that's the best thing to do with any long-term savings is let it ride. And if the market's up and down and up and down, you have to look at it over the long haul, not just month to month. Great. Did you understand that at the time or did you have somebody help you with the education? I think I understood that from the beginning when we first set up these accounts, when our children were small. That's great. You got the education. Yeah. So let's go back. So you're now retired, correct? Do you want to take us through retiring and that decision? Okay. So I was working for a company when COVID hit and they sent all of us home, right? (laughs) As soon as COVID hit. And a lot of the work, there was a lot of paperwork for this accounting department that I worked in. It was a company that puts asphalt on roads. So I worked in the department where all the truckers were paid. We had to track every delivery they made, the gas they spent, all their expenses, and see that they got got paid every week. And so there's lots of paperwork on every job that they did. And all of that was coming in over the computer. Everything had to be scanned in, and I do my part, and then I move it to a different folder online, and somebody does their part. It was extremely stressful. I did not like working at home at all. (laughs) So I was probably home over, over a year, and then they started calling us back in. When I went back to work, I mean, anybody will tell you, people changed. People were snippy. People were still like isolating in their own office space. So when I got back there, I was there for probably a year. And there was just people who I had worked with before. I just didn't like the environment. 
there was a lot of backbiting and I don't know, I just didn't like that job anymore. So here I was 61 years old and I had to make a decision to leave that job and find something else or figure out if I was eligible for retirement. So that was a big puzzle to me. I could not find the right people to give me the right answers. The man who managed my investment accounts, I asked him, he didn't really know how social security worked and how whether I needed to retire at 62 or wait till 65 or wait till 70. I didn't know if it went by my birthday or Brad's birthday or his age to be eligible for his benefits, because I had not been in the workforce my whole life, if I retired at 62 on my benefits, I would get like $700 a month. (laughs) So three different times I called Social Security, which at the time the offices weren't open, you had to make an appointment, you had to wait for somebody to call you back. Just the whole situation post COVID was stressful. So the first person I talked to said I had to wait till his age and until Brad would have been retirement age, and I couldn't go on my age, which was not true. And finally, I got somebody on the phone who said, let's look up, instead of going in under my social security number, he said, oh, you're a widow, let's look up under your husband's social security number. And he was able to find the benefits that I was eligible for as a widow under Brad's benefits. And he told me that whether I retire at 62 or work a few more years, that my work history, because it was so short, was not going to make up the difference. So in the end, I might as well retire at 62 under his benefits. And as it turns out, my monthly benefit under Brad's name is a little bit more than I was bringing home after taxes working full time. So it's kind of like a no brainer. Like I might as well retire and be better off economically. Wow. That's interesting. Cause yeah, if you weren't making other income, then none of the social security would be taxed. Right. And so then it was more than the other take home you were getting. That's interesting. Right. So you retired. I retired on my 62nd birthday. Yeah. How's retirement been? I feel like I'm very busy. I've found lots of things to do. I've helped out at a retirement home that's just around the block from me, like painting fingernails and helping with some of their classes and just on a volunteer basis. I. It does tend to, to seem like when you retire... Lots of people ask you to do things like (laughs) church, you know, will you drive this person to a doctor's appointment or help with this meal for a funeral or whatever. I've also just taken some classes, like free classes I found through Facebook and things like that. So I keep busy. I've gotten my house organized. One big thing that I took on after my mother passed away was I spent four months cleaning out her house and closing up her estate, even though my My older brother was the executor of her will. They needed somebody to come in and take care of 60 years worth of accumulation for her and my dad. And I also took on the project of digitizing all of their pictures and slides and videos. And I probably spent thousands of hours 
doing that and just about two months ago, put all of it onto jump drives and shared it all with my siblings. Yeah, great. So I have found lots of things to keep me occupied. Yeah, I'd love you to help a lot of people and be a good service. And done some visiting and helped with grandkids and done some traveling. Ah, great. So you mentioned that it's been, you're very grateful your husband saved the 401k because now it's helping you for retirement. But it sounds like you're able to cover most of your expenses with Social Security. So what is the 401k being, you know, how is that helping you with your retirement? Well, right now it's just something to look forward to. And I'm just letting those funds grow and kind of keeping an eye on the market a little bit. (laughs) And I'm able to be okay on my Social Security have some goals for the future and just haven't decided how to spend it yet. But I know it's there and that gives me great security. Yeah. A lot of flexibility too, with what you could do with it. Right. And what your future could be. That's great. Is there anything else that you want to share or that you would share with other widows, especially since you have had some distance from it and you can look back and share some of your wisdom One thing I learned over the course of everything is sometimes you got to fight for what you need or what you want. Way back when I first started school, from taking one year of college and then 20 years off, some of the classes didn't count. And I had to go back and look up like the description of the class then and the description of the class now and go to the counselor and say, look, this is the same description, even though it's a different class number. So there was a lot of legwork there. And then there was a lot of legwork figuring out, finding a job that would just making job transitions and a lot of legwork figuring out social security. So just don't take the first no that you get or the first answer if it doesn't make sense of how somebody's explaining it to you. Talk to different people until it makes sense or until you find the answer that you want or that you can live with. Yeah, that's great lesson. Anything else that you would share? Um, I would also share with any (laughs) non-widows that are listening or any younger people that our finances worked out fine, but I wish in retrospect that we had counseled more together on how we're spending our money. There were times when I would take my husband to the grocery store, right? And I have a stack of coupons and I'm worried about the sale items and saving five and 10 cents. And he wanders off and buys steaks that are like $15 a pound. I'm like, what? He can't afford that. (laughs) So just having different perspective and different spending habits, I think it's really good for couples to meet together once a month and plan out their finances and talk about What's going to happen and what are we saving up for? In our circumstance, we if we decided to take a trip, we'd just go on vacation and use a credit card and then pay it off. At the time, I, I just didn't understand the practice of being proactive. Let's save for next year's trip and when we can afford it, we'll take it. Or let's save for the next car that we're going to get and when we can afford it, then we'll upsize. Instead, it was always take the action and then kind of make it work out in the budget. That would just be my counsel to people is do finances together so that you're both on the same page with everything. It did work out because I paid the bills that there was no problem in me taking over finances or continuing finances when he passed away. 
I didn't have any trouble with bank accounts being locked up or anything like that. And I don't know if that was the times I've heard some of your podcasts now where, where a husband's name is taken directly off the account. As soon as the obituary comes out, I didn't have that problem. I still have accounts that I think have his name on it for at least a year. I was using an American express card that was only in his name. And they didn't question it or didn't know. Finally, I canceled that card because I realized that American Express charges you a large yearly fee, Mm -hmm. whereas a lot of credit cards don't have a fee like that. So Mm -hmm. the transition of me taking over finances was on the day-to-day bills was not hard and getting everything turned over into my name was not hard. Yeah. Yeah, We'll have to do another episode with like an expert on doing all that, you know, closing up the state of the, your spouse and stuff. So, well, thank you so much for sharing your experience. And I wish that we had connected about your soul before you had to do social security, because that seems like a big effort. You had to call a social security office. We have an episode on social security. I encourage people to go back and listen to if you have questions. And just to wrap up here, Karen, is there anything that you would thank Brad for? that he did for you that has made such a big difference for you now, financially or personally? Well, definitely taking the initiative to know enough about investing or planning for the future to to make that commitment to 401k and to, to getting a financial planner early on in his career. Another thing I didn't mention was having that 401k even while he was alive, was a great security. And there were two different times when we drew money out of it. One was he went back to school, decided to get an MBA, and the company was reimbursed him for 50% of that, of his MBA program, but not until after he had earned it. And so we were able to pull out the tuition that we needed from that 401k by taking a loan and then paying that back. While he was, I don't know, I don't remember if we had to pay, make payments while he was in school or when he graduated, we paid the whole thing after his yeah. company reimbursed us. Another time we pulled money out when he was going through the courses to become a certified scuba instructor in, in anticipation of having a second career. And that was kind of a big expense and we pulled money out of that and then we're able to pay it back. So that's, I know it's not advised to pull money out of 401k except for a couple of things, but it was beneficial that we had that available to us to do that. You did a 401k loan against it, right? Right. A loan from from his employer through his employer's investments. Yeah. Yeah. That avoids the taxes and the penalty. But to do an episode about that, 401k loans, because it can be a resource, but there are pros and cons to it. So, but in the end, you know, I just appreciate his planning for my future. When we first got a financial planner back in the late 80s, the guy who we had helping us first open up accounts taught us about the importance of insurance, of having insurance that would cover anyone having six small children at home. And so we did have an insurance policy, which Sadly, we cashed out when we decided to move and needed the extra money for moving expenses and things like that. So we cashed out a life insurance policy just a few months before he passed away. Uh, well, yeah. And the payout probably would have been a lot higher right. on the death benefit oh, than if you cashed it. 
Definitely. Yeah, hindsight's twenty twenty though. Right. But can I just and then the life insurance you did get was from his new job. Right. And that's why we canceled the other life insurance because he now had a good life insurance policy from the new job. We didn't have a bunch of little kids at home and we felt like it was a good time to make that transition. You know, I would be in a different place if we had had that second life insurance policy still intact when he passed away. But that was a decision we made. And so, yeah. Yeah. Other things worked out though, right? Yeah. There are other great blessings you had. Well, thank you so much, Karen, for sharing your experiences and your lessons. There's so many good golden nuggets of wisdom in that. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of He's Gone, But the Money's Not. If you'd like to explore more about the podcast or discover additional resources related to financial planning, please visit our website at rockhousefinancial.com. And remember, your financial journey is unique, but you don't have to navigate it alone. Feel free to reach out to us for financial planning services tailored to your specific needs. Once again, thank you for being part of our community. We look forward to having you back for more inspiring stories and practical financial wisdom on He's Gone, But the Money's Not. Information expressed does not take into account your specific situation or objectives and is not intended as recommendations appropriate for any individual. Listeners are encouraged to seek advice from a qualified tax, legal, or investment advisor to determine whether any information presented may be suitable for their specific situation. Rockhouse Financial is an SEC registered investment advisor and the opinions expressed on this show do not reflect the opinions of Rockhouse Financial or any other sponsors of the podcast. All statements and opinions expressed are based upon information considered reliable, although it should not be relied upon as such. Any statement or opinions are subject to change without notice. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. Investments involve risk and, unless otherwise stated, are not guaranteed. Past performance 